the heart needs renewal. The world is built on the individual, and every individual can make a world of difference. Different children have different learning styles. Brian Baruch, Brian the Healer, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm going to introduce you. So do you feel stuck in karmic loops? Do you wonder what fate and destiny have in store for you? This is an introduction to an upcoming class, master class that, that Brian is teaching with um, Peggy. And he says, join Kabbalah mystic Brian the Healer and Peggy Liu, time hero of the environment for this transformative workshop that will bring expansive possibilities for you and your community. As a conscious channeler, Brian explains how you can create from the future to release yourself from karmic anchors, to create new breakthrough possibilities for yourself and your soul network. And he is joined by Peggy Lowe, time hero of the environment who coaches communities and countries how to bring in better futures faster. Oh my, are you two needed right here and right now? They share their recent adventures as they use powerful energetic healing to transform the arrow of destiny for the state of the nation of Hawaii and other communities. So welcome, welcome. I'm going to stop there with what I'm reading. And are you in Hawaii? Um, no, I'm presently in Toronto, Canada. Uh, but we are uh, helping uh, in person online the nation of Hawaii heal from uh, multi-generational traumas and as well teaching them how to create with uh, future vision. In Hawaii, they have a word, it's called kapapua. And kapapua is the indigenous tradition of sovereign interdependence. It's where people um, steward over each other and the land, um, not for personal interest, but for communal interest, for the greater spirit of the totality the greater gestalt, Hawaii, the land, their tradition was they would have a spring on top of the mountain and the water, the pure water would flow freely from the top of the mountain. And on each stage of the mountain, there was a different industry that used the water and would steward over it, leaving it in um, just as good condition as when they found it. And the water would pass through the different industries on the mountain until it reached the ocean. This is a way for living that many of us in the Western world can grow to learn about and we can enhance our own lives with more enriched living, um, a more mindful way of living um, as we embrace it. But it's also a work of apapua within the spirit many indigenous peoples, they don't remember their true spirit of their traditions outside the bookends of trauma, of horrible things that have been perpetrated on their people. Because of that, there is a disintegration of continuity between generations. As children grow up, seeing their parents suffering with burdens that they're unable 
to heal, unable to do anything about the burden that comes too heavy to carry. They either want to numb those out or leave it entirely. So doing this work with indigenous people, it really is a, a papua system. It's a top-down system. We have to free the true spirit of the people the way it was before trauma. We have to connect it to the enlightenment of the thriving generations to come. The generation, present generation, they stand as a bridge in the middle to steward over that spirit, to steward over that sweet water. And it's very transformational when you live with that intention and then you follow the natural physics of the process of following it into the real world and how you create and how you develop. So that work is profoundly meaningful for myself and my partner, uh, Peggy Lou. And we believe, as does the uh, nation of Hawaii, that Hawaii can be key to healing for many indigenous people around the world. Have you worked with your own indigenous roots? Is that where the Kabbalah work came from? Are those your indigenous roots? I, I don't know that. So I, I would say in my practice, I have um, dealt with uh, many children of Holocaust survivors. I myself um, am an Israelite and I, I'm traditional with the Jewish faith. And there is a lot um, embedded in the Jewish diaspora and their traditions that relate to trauma, trauma recovery and renewal. And as well, it's hardwired into its traditions, devotional practices that evoke the future, that evoke creating with the future, the spirit of the divine feminine to come and such. So I would say that uh, my traditions were very formative for how I, I render the appropriate amount of heart and compassion and to have the correct corrective rubric to be able to bring solutions to very difficult dynamics and situations. So how do you, I, I don't think work is the right word, but how do you manifest or create the conditions for healing a state? What comes to mind when I think of Hawaii and healing is the practice of Ho'oponopono. What do I know? Not a whole lot about it, but I know something. And I've been practicing it from what I know for many years now. But, but the prospect of overlapping, integrating the idea of that kind of healing practice with my, our ancestors in Judaism is a pretty wild prospect. I personally have been kind of shut down with some of my ideas related to my, my mother would say Lanzmann, the, 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 the people that I've grown up with or associating, I'm associating with now in a synagogue, they've shut me down in terms of what I feel I have to offer. 
but the integration, I'm just feeling this right now of whatever you're doing for Hawaii, uh, overlapping it, interfacing it, interweaving it with the Jewish tradition. Is that something that you're working with? Or you don't even have to answer that question. Just take it wherever you want to go. Traditionally, when I work as a Kabbalist mystic, um, we work in the sector of the unseen and the unknown. We work with individuals, create with them new possibilities in private consult. There are many people that have excelled at uh, the structure and the progression for civilization society. However, uh, I believe it is the role of the creatives and the inspired that keep those societies invigorated and alive. And so um, obsessively, I'm very comfortable with my role as the inspired creative in the sector of the unseen to bring the new possibilities and reinvigorate and renew people who are on the front lines, people who are stewarding over communities, that itself is a form of embrace, of gratitude, of acceptance, without hierarchy. Every role in the body is important. Every organ is important. But it's the heart's role to circulate vitality, oxygen for the body, to all the body without bias, prejudice, or hierarchy. And so I'm comfortable that the structures are existing within that community. What's needed is a rekindling of the vitality. The heart needs renewal. The heart needs to be driven. The heart needs a spring. You are flowing so deeply, so um, I'm just taken with your depth. I see me in you. I see you in all of us. And I feel so much gratitude and hope and harmony with all that is unfolding as we step into our own individual knowingness deeply as you're modeling. <sighs> so I'm glancing over right now to the live stream and my husband is asking, is Jewish synonymous with Israelite? So I, you know, um, I try to avoid uh, controversial subjects. I believe that's a controversial subject. I try to bridge and unite. However, um, within the lexicon of the Jewish mythos and culture, there has always been division of uh, two branches, two sides. And there have always been, there was a kingdom that was in Judea and there was a kingdom that was in greater Israel. These two archetypes are macro expressions of two archetypal symbols 
in the biblical archetype uh, mythology of the Jewish tradition to figures, one uh, named Judah, another named Joseph. And uh, Joseph was someone who excelled as an individual, as an individualist. His humility was showed through his dedication to assisting everyone with a pure love. Then there was Judah. Judah's dedication was for the community. He always performed to extraordinary feats when he was devoted to the community, expressing himself through the community. When he was outside the community, he had several mishaps. These two archetypes translated later into uh, two different ways of approaching the Jewish experience in greater Israel. Those two kingdoms are very similar to what you find in the United States. The difference between federalists, uh, people who believe in strong government, and people who believe in states' rights. It is the very same archetype. And you find it throughout the world. I myself, I believe that every individual, there's a traditional agadic principle that within the Jewish experience, the world is built on the individual. And that's something I embrace, that every individual is a world and every individual can make a world of difference. And that's the differentiation that I use when I refer to myself as an Israelite. I love that everybody is a world and everybody can make a difference. And the, the archetype idea, I know you don't want to get political, nor do I, but what I'm seeing right now is kind of the interweaving of the archetypes. So I may have been one archetype before, but now I'm not the other archetype and I'm not the archetype I was, but do you see the interweaving in the transformation, transmutation of what is, is now? I believe that it's very similar to uh, in the East when they talk about the masculine and the feminine spiritual vitality. And it's also akin, similar in the Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah, um, these expressions, how stasis, natural law, is a balance of two forces, two opposing forces. They reach a point of balance between each other that creates lawfulness. That is nature. In the Kabbalistic mythos, the archetype is a biblical reference called Ezo Kenegdo. When it refers to primordial man and woman, it uses this term, Ezo Kenegdo, counterpart. These two energies keep each other in check. However, when they become one, then something higher comes through. There's a greater spirit, a greater gestalt. There is a sense of transcendence the two bring each other to a higher plateau. This is called creating the divine feminine in the Kabbalistic mythos. And I believe that part of the inner work 
is getting out of a repression modality. Many of us are exerting tremendous amount of energy repressing parts of ourselves. If you think about the environment and the point we are at now in history, you will notice that in many ways across industry, we are transitioning from combustion technologies because we decided that combustion technologies create a lot of friction. The parts wear out. And as well, it used us a lot of energy. And worst of all, there's a fallout. There's a horrible fallout that is very difficult to remedy. So when we're advancing at this time into an age of renewable energies, they're trying to create parts that are more simple, more agile. The less parts, the less friction, the less friction, the less loss of energy. They're also trying to create modalities where the technology is renewable. I know it's a clumsy analogy, but think of a car battery. You charge the battery by using it. Try explaining that 2000 years ago. Similarly, in the educational sector, it used to be we would teach children. The teacher would find a few children that had similar temperament to their own, would teach those children. Everyone else would kind of eavesdrop. That was called education. That's not how education is done today. Today, we understand different children have different learning styles. Some learn through the sense of tactile touch. Some are auditory. Some, they see and learn through visualization. Others are semantic learners. The teacher today must develop their lesson plans and engage each learning style within a lesson. We see this progress in our civilization. You also see it in the corporate world. Today in Silicon Valley, we are technology. It's the front line of technology. Over there, they've learned. You can't have a style of leadership that is an iron fist where you create an echo chamber of agreement. It causes a lot of setbacks. It causes a lot of mistakes. A lot of people begin to echo what they believe the leadership wants to hear, and they don't spot the issues before they become a problem. It's called groupthink. They've done a lot to avoid this. Additionally, they don't want to repress innovation. Very often, if they repressed innovation, people would come with innovations and they would create their own companies and very quickly become a competitor. So what they learned gradually is to award greater autonomy gradually as performance warrants it, to allow people to experiment and grow with their ideas if they merit it eventually reproduce the same ethos and culture within the corporate sphere as a separate company and department, like a fractal, like a tree. So what 
we see happening in our world at this time is a transition from control paradigms. Control does not work. It doesn't work geopolitically. It doesn't work in medicine. Most of our medicine techniques are designed to repress, repress the symptoms. We're not dealing with the true issue yet. However, we are very much at an access point with AI. And they will begin treating issues at a causal arena. They will deal with mutations of genetics. However, that won't be the only change in medicine. Companies will realize what a heavy burden on their budget healthcare is to the degree that they can incentivize people to reward them for maintenance, to reward them for taking care of their bodies, for exercising and such. It seems elementary, but it doesn't exist right now. When we stop impressing ourselves with the amazing feats that we're able to do, and we begin to recognize that the innate architecture of the human body, the environment, is ingenious enough. We can grow and we can say, instead of replacing your heart, we can teach you how to maintain your heart. Instead of building plastic trees, we can help respect, honor our environment. This is what I'm explaining. It exists in the micro, but it's in the macro as well. It's all at once. There's a transition that's taking place that is like a fractal. We're living right on the lip of it. It's just beginning. It's so exciting from my perspective to be living on this lip. I am very excited and I know that we're all here at this moment for a very specific reason. And I would love for you to share what you're being and how you are helping uh, facilitate the movement of individuals into their own heart uh, so that they can function more joyfully. (laughs) Because I'm so glad that I found you. I think it was through that thing called Clubhouse that you have this, these abilities to help others, not just individuals, because I know you're working with, with a state and you know the cosmos and all this, but in my imagination, at least, you are helping individuals as well. So what maybe later you or Peggy can drop in this um, thread, the links to your offerings um, so that we can all participate and co-create with you and Peggy. It's such a pleasure hearing you. And I feel, I just have to report this, I feel your energy as if you're like right with me in the same room. It's so powerful that it is uh, amazing. And I've noticed just in this past time that we've been together, that the whole energy of the room around me has shifted. 
and I've shifted from within. And so this great gift that you're sharing so that we start to understand and begin to understand that I am you, you are me, we are one. And as we are in synchrony with our hearts, we are in on this lip of the transformation of everything right here, right now. We don't have to wait any longer. We don't have to analyze the pollution and the redistribution and the whatever it is that seems dissonant doesn't have to be that way as we reorganize and alchemize. Um, so that's just what is coming through me right now. I would say that's very much on key with uh, my partner, Peggy Liu, what she is doing for uh, sparking what she calls tornado leadership. She consults and teaches uh, people in the cutting edge of world change. And she is teaching them something very important about how change takes place. It is not from the data. People aren't mobilized by data. People are not mobilized by yelling at them that catastrophe is coming. That's not how you create change. But when you empower people and you connect them emotionally, I would say sentimentally, with a true relationship with the future fulfillment, then you have a buy-in. Then you can mobilize a culture. It's quite transformative. And she's done it. I believe she's done it seven times. She's changed the world seven times. And she's going to do it many more times. Do you have a verbal description of how she has changed the world seven times? Peggy has uh, worked uh, with the Chinese government modernizing their electrical grid to many, many, many provinces before that. She worked in the environmental sector and um, was uh, in the She's a worldwide award recipient as a, someone who brings solutions for the environment. And she is a gifted environmentalist uh, who is recognized worldwide. And uh, before that, she was in the consulting industry and she can best uh, speak for her triumphs. Um, what I know is what Peggy experiences is that all her work at McKenzie, which is a world-renowned consulting firm, the work during the Clinton Initiative for the Environment, and the work that's been done till then, until she did the what she calls the China Dream Campaign, which is right now a public motto in China, embraced by the leadership. There is this new whirlwind tornado of technique that helps a three-year process implementing substantial progress and change. And my understanding is that Peggy's writing a book about how to change the world with tornado leadership. 
and um, she'll have much to share about it. Wow, beautiful, wonderful. It is also so affirming to me as one of those tornadoes that there are people like you and Peggy uh, collaboratively and individually sharing the energetics of uh, what some might consider the future now in these moments and that we have the opportunity to share some of this energy, not only live, but on the replay, you know, inside um, Reimagine, Reimagine uh, the Turtle Creek Watershed and Airshed Communities Plus is a micro example of a community, which happens to be the one I live in, that is reimagining um, and was created as an antidote, for example, to what is supposedly to become the second largest petrochemical plant on North America, 30 miles from where I am sitting right now. I usually say where I stand on Osage land. So the understanding that that doesn't have to be and that we can share our understandings of the bountiful, beautiful alternatives that are here now. So rather than the destruction that you were speaking of early in our speaking here, just the knowingness and the settled feeling of, of being in the energy of those that know we are in this transition and that all of our speakings and actions and movements and dances and singing and drumming and being are rippling out in ways as never has been before. And that is so exciting to me. <laughs> Just really, I'm kind of like overflowing with gratitude. And, and we, we need to kind of come to a close now, but I hope for those who are watching on the replay, you share this energy widely and that you follow uh, Brian the Healer, I know that he has a lot of um, social media presence. I found him through Clubhouse, but I'm sure he's on, he's on Instagram and lots of other places and uh, following Peggy and, oh gee, I have some notes of things I need to look up about Peggy and then check back into the Facebook stream for other contact information for direct clickable links. And are there some closing thoughts perhaps, Brian, and I just want to just offer so much gratitude for you uh, being here with us now. What I would share is that people are either causal or they are reactive. And if you're causal, you're able to create with the future, not just the past. And if you're reactive, you're not you. You're just a reverb. You're just a reverberation. Let's say about anyone who is a trained musician would never uh, play a single note before they tune and clean their instrument because they know even if they have the greatest technique, they're the most studied, the music will be dissonant. There'll be no harmony available. 
So as we grow to transition, to understand that we can create a world with our intention and true sentiment and share and unify a compassion and mercy for the inner child and everyone, that, that's the foundation that world peace is created on. If we can resuscitate that stream, bring that from the top of the mountain to the ocean of the collective consciousness. I believe it starts within each person. As within, so throughout. What are you repressing? How can you make peace with all of yourself? Can you have the courage to be a sensitive? The inner child within you is very sensitive. Many in this world were thrown together to find a common mediocrity. However, you are a world. You are a change maker. What it takes is courage. The courage to feel hurt, to feel pain, to feel tired. And the courage to rejuvenate time and again. When you are a complete circuit, the fullness of the cell, there is no friction. You get by on less energy. And there's less karmic debt and pollution. We can all get into the passing lane. We needn't ride the brake. Those are my closing words. Thank you again and again. Thank you, everybody who is watching live, those who are watching replay, those who are listening to the podcast Journey Through Health and Wellness. I will be listening to this over and over again. So many profound threads, so much healing. I will be reaching out to you and Peggy over and over again. And, and thank you from my heart to yours, to the cosmos and back again. So thank you. Thank you.